Our biographical address uh, this morning is on the life of Adniram Judson, who lived from 1788 to 1850. Over the last 15 years, I have delivered biographical addresses at each of our picnics, uh, which were initially once a year and latterly uh, twice a year. The question is why? Why do I do that? And I've, I've covered uh, in the past the biblical basis for the study of Christian biography, but it would be difficult to cultivate, or, or to um, not cultivate, but rather to capture all of the practical benefits uh, that come from such a study. Uh, our, our children and our young people, as well as our old people, uh, need to be reading them. They've had, biographies have had a, a uh, continual staple in my own um, diet, reading diet, since I was converted at 17, and frankly, I can't imagine uh, being without them for the remainder of, of my days. It was during uh, the December break of 1990, which is now nearly 33 years ago, uh, I still remember very vividly being stretched out on the couch in the downstairs of my uh, parents' house at the time, uh, reading over the course of a week the 500-page biography of Adniram Judson, uh, which was entitled To the Golden Shore. I was riveted. I couldn't put it down, and it exerted uh, a tremendous influence on my life at the time, and that has endured throughout the subsequent years. The life of Adniram Judson is sobering. Some might even say that it is heavy. It's not for the faint of heart uh, due to the enormity of the sufferings that he endured in wave after wave after wave. But the testimony of his life delivers a powerful spiritual impact uh, to all who have a heart to receive it. Uh, Jesus said in John 12, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a cor corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it remaineth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And this captures in many ways the life of Adniram Judson as we sing in Psalm 126, that man who bearing precious seed and going forth doth mourn, he doubtless bringing back his sheaves, rejoicing shall return. Judson was one of the earliest missionaries sent from the shores of America and one of the first Protestant missionaries to arrive in the Southeast Asia country of Burma, which is now called Myanmar. He was born in 1788 in Massachusetts. His father was a godly congregational minister, the pastor of the Third Congregational Church of Plymouth, Massachusetts. His father had studied under, uh, along with Jonathan Edwards' student, uh, Joseph Bellamy. Uh, Adniram, as we'll see, received from his father uh, Reformed theology, and later he lived out of the great truths of, of God's sovereign grace. He would have been known uh, in what we would call uh, as, a, as a Calvinist. Adniram was a brilliant boy. Uh, his mother taught him to read in one week when he was three years old in order to surprise his father when he came home from a trip. 
And when his father arrived, he, he read a chapter from the Bible to his father's astonishment. Judson uh, entered the College of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, now uh, called Brown University, when he was 16 and graduated as valedictorian of his class at the age of 19. But while studying at college, he fell in with a young man named Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was a devout deist and an unbelieving skeptic. Uh, who had no time or place in his thinking uh, for the Christian religion. Well, Judson and Eames developed what became a very uh, strong friendship. They were the closest of friends. And during this time, uh, Judson was led by the influence of Eames uh, to embrace uh, these unbelieving notions. He ended up uh, reading the writings of the French philosophes and others. And he kept this concealed from his parents until his 20th birthday, August 9th, 1708, when he broke their hearts with the news that, uh, with the news of his announcement that he had no faith and that he intended to go to New York and to learn to write for the theater. Well, he did that, and uh, he ended up disgusted. He was disgusted with what he found there. And that was really the beginning of several remarkable providences. Uh, at that same time, he went to visit his uncle Ephraim in Sheffield, but found there instead what he calls a pious young man who stunned him by being so firm in his Christian convictions uh, without being uh, austere. He thought it was strange that he should find this man there instead of his uncle. And the next night, he left uh, to, run, to turn back where he had come from. And he came into a small uh, village and decided to stay at an inn where he had never been uh, before. Uh, as he went into the inn, he spoke to the clerk, the innkeeper, who apologized uh, that his sleep might be somewhat interrupted uh, because of a man that was critically ill in the next room uh, that he would be staying in. And so Judson went up to his room and got his stuff together and eventually went to bed and he could hear through the wall uh, this moaning and groaning. So there he was in bed and he's tossing and turning. You'd hear the man crying out and shrieking and groaning throughout the night. Uh, Judson ended up getting uh, very little sleep with these, these gasps and so on. And it began to bother him in bed uh, to think that the man next to him, uh, did not appear to be prepared to die. And he wondered about himself and had some terrifying thoughts of, of his own uh, dying. But he would, at the same time, felt, felt somewhat foolish because as a skeptic and good deist, uh, he wasn't supposed to have those struggles. Well, the next morning he woke up, pulled his things together, went down to the desk and uh, spoke to the innkeeper and asked, you know, is, is the man doing okay? Is, are things well? And the clerk replied by saying, no, I'm, I'm sorry to report that uh, he died in the early hours of the morning. And so Judson is further kind of struck, you know, by all that's happened and the finality of what all of that entails. And so he turned to leave, but before he went out the door, um, 
he asked the, the innkeeper, do you know who the man was? And the innkeeper said, oh yes, he was one of the young, uh, bright young men that had just graduated from the College of Providence. His name was Eames, Jacob Eames. Adnaram Judson was thunderstruck. He could hardly move. And he ended up staying there for hours, pondering the death of his co closest colleague, comrade, his best friend. If Eames was right, then the event should seem meaningless. But Judson did not believe it. He says that hell should open in that country inn and snatch Jacob Eames, his dearest friend and guide, from the next bed. This could not, simply could not be pure coincidence. Well, this set him to seeking. And while his conversion was not immediate, uh, he was convinced that the Lord was pursuing him and the Spirit began to strive with him. Like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he felt as if there was number, uh, no way of escape for him. And so months of struggle were to follow. I mean, here he is under the shock of learning of his, his best friend's identity and, and death. And it led him away uh, from the skepticism which he had, inter uh, had entertained and reeling from Eames's untimely death. He reconsidered his commitment to God and was in the process uh, soundly and savingly converted by God's sovereign grace. And he ended up enrolling in the seminary, Anover Seminary, and eventually dedicated himself to, to, to the service of missions. It was in 1908 that Judson, in his words, made a solemn dedication of himself to God. And during his final year at school, he decided uh, to pursue the work of, of missions. And so he was eager to go abroad, and he became fence, convinced in the Lord's leading that, quote, Asia, with its idolatrous myriads, was the most important field in the world for missionary effort. On September 19, 1810, Judson was appointed by the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions as a missionary to the East. In the process, he came in contact with, met, and fell in love with the woman that would become his wife. Uh, her name was Anne. Her nickname was Nancy, so you'll see references to her frequently as Nancy. He had only known her from, for one month when he declared his intention to become a suitor. And he wrote what is, I think, a remarkable letter to her father. And he says, among other things, this, I, ha I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter uh, early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? for the sake of a perishing, for, of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God.
Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With the crown of righteousness, brightened with the, accla- with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Well, her father amazingly uh, agreed and put the question to Anne or Nancy and allowed her to determine whether she would give her consent, which she did. But between this engagement and the marriage, uh, Judson made a trip to London to seek support from the London Missionary Society. Uh, instead, he, he discovered something quite different than he anticipated. The ship he was on, the, the British packet, uh, was taken by a French ship, and Judson was made prisoner with the crew. And so he was taken to France and put in prison, and it was in this uh, rather desperate situation for a 22-year-old American, mind you, that he learned what he would need for all that would come in Burma. And namely, that was the Lord, more and more of the Lord himself. Amazingly, a man from Philadelphia snuck Judson out of the prison by bribing the guards, made his way to London. Uh, It was really rather a futile trip in terms of gaining support. He left on June 18th and arrived, uh, this is 1811, and arrived in New York on August 7th uh, from, as I say, a journey which seemed rather uh, pointless. Except for this, he always regarded his detention in France as a very important and indeed necessary part of his preparation for the duties which should afterwards uh, devolve upon him. Judson was commissioned by the Congregational Church. He married, he was, com- he was um, ordained and commissioned on, on February 5th, 1812, um, ordained uh, at the Tabernacle Congregational Meeting in uh, Salem, and was married at the same time. And 14 days later, this new married couple, married two weeks on February 19th, set sail aboard the Brigade Uh, caravan with two other couples and two single young men who were divided among two ships in case one went down. The voyage to India took 114 days. While he was on board the ship to India, uh, he focused his concentrated study on the question of baptism, uh, which led him to the persuasion of the Baptist position. You'll remember that he's going to India. Who's in India? Children, you should know. It's William Carey with the Serampore mission that's there. And so he's going to reform Baptists uh, in, in India. He becomes persuaded of, Bapt- of, uh, of the Baptist position and remains so for the remainder of his days. The Judsons arrived in India on June 17, 1812. Um, he, in India, he and Anne lived for a short time with William Carey. Uh, fall of that year, he switched to the Baptist den- denomination along with his wife and they were baptized by immersion in Calcutta uh, by Ward, one of the colleagues of of William Carey. Now, all of this, you know, I hope you're you're holding in your mind. You hear the word, or you hear the number 1812. What's going on? We have the war of 1812 that's emerged, right, between America and, and Britain. Well, they're in India, and both the local and British authorities didn't want uh, American missionaries evangelizing the Hindus. If you've read William Carey's story, you'll know something 
uh, about that. And so there was this idea of, of kind of separating some of the missionaries out to send them to other mission fields. Eventually, they were ordered out of India. And um, the Americans, of course, are the least welcome by the British, given the war. But it was another difficult year before the Judsons finally reached their intended destination, which was, was Burma. Uh, Burma was Buddhist, still is. And just Judson was told by the, the Serampore mission in India that it was impermeable to, to, to Christian evangelism. In fact, they were encouraged not to go to Burma. But the following year, 1813, he moved to Burma. And en route, his wife miscarried their first child aboard the ship. When Admiram entered Burma in July 1813, it was a, a very hostile and what everyone would consider almost unreachable place. As I said, Carrie told them, you know, not to go. Uh, we, would, we would consider it in, in our own day as a, yeah, a, a country that's closed, one that you, you have no access to, one that you can't get into. I mean, there was just all sorts of... Um, tyranny in the government. There was yeah, a fierce war that was going on with Siam at the time. There were constant rebellions and raids and zero religious toleration. All of the missionaries that had attempted to go there before had either died or left. So we arrived there. They arrived there without any base of, of support. In Burma, there began a lifelong battle in the midst of 108 degree temperatures with dysentery and ma uh, malaria and cholera and all sorts of other miseries that would um, await them. Not only ultimately kill Anne, uh, but also his second wife and seven of their 13, his 13 children. And he watched one fellow missionary after another uh, laid in the grave. But Judson went there with his wife, who was 23 years old at the time. They'd been married 17 months. He was 24 years old. And he worked there for the next th 38 years until his death at age 61. During that period, he had one trip back to New England. And it was after having been in Burma for 33 years. The suffering that he endured is overwhelming. He already knew Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, but he immediately began studying Burmese, uh, the grammar and language. It took him over three year, years to be able to, to even begin to speak it in a limited uh, um, capacity. This was a due in part because of the radical differences in the structure of the Burmese and Western languages. But he found uh, someone to teach him, and he devoted himself to 12 hours a day of studying the language, firmly committed that he and his wife would be able to converse in it fluently. Uh, during this time, they were entirely isolated from contact with any European or uh, American people. Um, it was four years that passed before Judson even dared to hold a semi-public service uh, in the Burmese language. Uh, he accommodated some of the Burmese customs. Uh, he built a customary uh, a bamboo thatch shelter uh, on the street near his home as a reception room for, for meeting the, the, a meeting place for Burmese men. Uh, he would stand and, and call out to the people to come, uh, you who thirst for knowledge. Uh, Fifteen men came to the first meeting, uh, 
in April 1819. He was somewhat encouraged, but also recognized that they had come more out of curiosity than anything else. They, they didn't pay attention. They were looking around, seemed completely uninterested. Um, it was, but it was two months later that he, he baptized his first uh, Burmese convert, Maung Nao, a 30-year-old timber worker from the, from the hill tribes. And it was, uh, there were 18 believers by the year 1822. So if you're doing the math here, it was like six years, seven years before he saw a single person converted. Uh, first attempts by the Judsons to, to interest the natives of Ragoon with the gospel of Jesus, as I said, met with almost total indifference, right? You have the Buddhist traditions and history and the Burmese worldview, all of that led them to disregard entirely the pleadings of Adoniram uh, to believe in one living and all-powerful God. During that period, their second child, Roger, died at almost eight months of age. In 1820, Judson and a fellow missionary petitioned the emperor of Burma in hope that he would grant freedom for missionaries uh, to preach throughout the country and that he would remove the death sentence that was then in force uh, to those, to any of the Burmese people who changed their religion. The emperor disregarded their appeal and threw one of their gospel tracts to the ground after reading a few lines. They returned to Ragoon, where the church was struggling to consider what to do next. They recognized that progress was going to be slow and at the risk of great endangerment and death, the risk of death. It took Judson 12 years um, to see 18 converts. Uh, his wife, Anne, was even more fluent in the language uh, than her academically accomplished husband, and she was befriending both people in high places as well as those in the, in the street. To, to their great delight, uh, a printing press had also been sent from Sarampur, right, in India, uh, along with uh, a missionary printer who had arrived uh, from America with his wife in 1817, and they began producing the first printed materials in Burmese, uh, which included 800 copies of Judson's translation of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, one of these early disciples was a teacher and leader of a group of intellectuals that had become dissatisfied with Buddhism and were yeah, open to the, the new faith that they were hearing about. But he was also a skeptic and um, couldn't quite be persuaded of, of what he was hearing from, from Judson. Um, in many ways, he's kind of mirroring the place that Judson himself had been in his, in his youth. So he's not ready to believe in God and Jesus Christ. Well, he, he nevertheless expresses interest in, in becoming a, a disciple and convert, and rather than Judson welcoming him, wel welcoming him, he presses him further about what exactly he does believe and what his conclusions are about the Gospel of Matthew and about the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, had died on the cross. The man shook his head and said, Ah, you have caught me now. I believe that he suffered death, but I cannot believe he suffered the shameful death on the cross, that the Lord, that a king, would never allow his son such <coughs> indignity. So Judson responded by telling him, you're not a disciple of Christ then, 
because a true disciple of Christ doesn't require doesn't inquire doesn't inquire about whether the truth is agreeable to our reason, but whether it is agreeable to the word and will of God. And he told him that his pride had to give way to divine testimony. His pride had to be broken. Well, eight years into their mission, Anne was so ill uh, that the only hope was a trip home. And so she sailed on August 21st, 1821. And she returned in December, December 5th, 1823. So two years and four months, he was without his wife. When she arrived, he had not heard from her for 10 months. In 1823, they moved from Ragoon to, to Ava, the capital, about 300 miles inland and further up uh, the river. It was risky uh, to be near the tyranny of the centralized government there. And there was, there was um, war that was happening and, and so on. And eventually war broke out between Burma and England. So England is desiring to extend uh, all of the land that they have with regards to the, the Indian occupation. And so they carved out some of the territory of Burma, went to, went to war with them in order to secure that, um, that land. And that resulted in all sorts of, of difficulty. English-speaking Americans were immediately confused with the enemy and suspected of being spies. So Judson and Price, another one of his colleagues, were violently arrested. Officers led by an official executioner burst into Justin's home, uh, Judson's home, threw him to the ground in front of his wife, bound him with torture thongs, and dragged him off to the prison in Ava. There he was thrown into a deplorable, dank, miserable uh, prison. His feet were fettered, and at night, a long horizontal bamboo pole was lowered, passed between the fettered legs, and hoisted up until only the shoulder and heads of the prisoners rested on the ground. He endured this night after night. He was in prison for 17 months in total during the war between the British and, and, and Burma. He was in two prisons. One of the prisons was overseen by convicted murderers who had been spared death in exchange for serving as jailers. Anne was pregnant, but she walked the two miles daily to the palace to plead that Judson was not a spy and that they should have mercy on him. She got some relief from time to time. He was allowed to go out into a courtyard. All the while, she... Uh, Anne or Nancy is, is nursing an infant and raising two orphaned Burmese girls. The prisoners were subjected to all sorts of humiliation. Uh, they got vermin in their hair amid the rotting food. They had to be shaved bald. Twelve months after in the first prison, Judson and Price, along with a small group of surviving Western prisoners, were marched over land for six more months of misery in a primitive village. The British prisoners of war that were imprisoned with them all died but one. So they're moved to this distant um, prison. In the process, they are gaunt, hollow eyes, dressed in rags, crippled from sustained torture. There, the mosquitoes from the rice paddies drove them mad uh, on their bloody feet. The daughter, Maria, had been born by now and Anne was almost as sick and thin as Adniram. 
but she still pursued him with her baby to take care of him as she could. Eventually her milk dried up and they had to go to beg in the village for women to nurse the child. On November 4, 1825, Judson was suddenly released. The government needed him, the war was over, the government needed him in negotiations with the British. And so the long ordeal was over, 17 months in prison, living on the brink of death, with his wife sacrificing herself and her baby to care for him. But there was more to come. Anne's health was broken. And, a month, and 11 months later, on October 24th, 1826, she died. And six months after, her, her daughter died. She had wrote after he was released from prison that there was one good result of the war. And that was that the Burmese had ceded some of the provinces to the British and that that might provide an opportunity to expand the witness of the mission into other parts of, of the country. All of this was not the end of, of Judson's sufferings. Um, I should say that <clears throat> Anne died, of course, but their, their third child died six months later, but um, she died while her husband was out exploring uh, one of those ceded provinces. Well, this brought on uh, the descent of a persistent darkness. I mean, here is Adoniram has undergone horrific physical sufferings and deprivation, and he was a broken man. And everything began to collapse in terms of his biological systems. And the psychological effect of it all was overwhelming. But before we go into some of those details, um, another one of the missionary couples, the Boardmans, had been going and penetrating into the jungles in the south. And um, it was during this period that he entered into this year-long siege of depression that overcame him after the death of his, his wife. And so self-doubt overtook his mind. He began questioning, why did I become a missionary? What were my motives? Was I really after ambition? Was I after some sort of recognition? You know, was it really self-denying love? Was it pursuit of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? He began reading nonsense, some of the Catholic mystics and other things. And he was led into kind of a, a solitary asceticism and, and all sorts of uh, physical deprivations. He dropped his translation of the Old Testament, um, which was really the, the heartbeat of his whole life. It's what he, he lived for. And he retreated more and more from people and from, quote, anything that might conceivably support pride or promote pleasure. He refused to eat outside the mission. He destroyed all letters of commendation. Uh, he wrote to the American Baptist magazine and formally renounced the honorary doctorate of divinity that Brown University had given him in 1823. He gave all his private wealth, which was about $6,000, to the Baptist board. He asked that his salary be reduced to one quarter and promised to give more to the mission himself. In October 1828, he built a hut in the jungle some distance from the mission and moved there on October 24th, 1828, on the second anniversary of Anne's death, to live in total isolation. He wrote, he wrote in a letter home to Anne's relatives, my tears flow at the same time over the forsaken grave of my dear love and over the loathsome sepulcher of my own heart. 
He had a grave dug beside the hut and sat down in contemplating the stages of the body's dissolution. He ordered all his letters to be destroyed. He refers, refused to return a legal document his sister needed unless his demand was carried out. And for 40 days alone, in a tiger-infested jungle, he wrote in one letter something of the, the spiritual desolation that he felt. God is to me. God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. He grew increasingly reclusive. Many of the locals feared that Adnaram Judson would be, um, would be eaten by the tigers. When he returned safely from his, his exile, everyone was shocked that he survived. But over the course of 1830, he increasingly emerged from his spiritual darkness with a new resolve to reach Burma for Christ. With that, he enjoyed a decade of evangelistic fruitfulness, especially among those Karen people that the Broadmans had discovered and were seeking to reach. He also continued his translation work and he mentored other missionaries who were arriving. He was the first missionary to make contact with the Karen people back in 1827 uh, when he had ransomed a free and freed a debt slave for one of his early converts. The freed slave was illiterate and spoke almost no Burmese and was um, thought to be a thief and also a murderer who had admitted to killing at least 30 men but couldn't remember exactly how many more. Well, in 1828, the, the former Karen criminal, with all of his, his background, uh, ended up coming to Christ and had a great zeal for Christ. And he caught, the mission, he caught the vision of the missionaries and he was sent south with the Boardmans into the territory that was very animistic, not Buddhist, among the Karen people. This is all very interesting to me because when I've uh, gone to Singapore, when I've gone to Singapore and done conferences in Malaysia, there are people from Thailand whom I've spent a good bit of, of time with who are from the north of Thailand who are among the Karen people. So here, you know, these, and I know them quite well, among the Karen converts, Presbyterians, who are, who are still, you know, walking in faith with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, astonishingly, astonishingly this, this convert uh, went into the jungle alone to preach and found them prepared to receive his, his preaching. They had these ancient uh, oracles and traditions that had been handed down to them from, from centuries. There's scholars, some scholars have various ideas and thoughts, conjecture, about the link between uh, the Karen people and perhaps the Nestorians um, who, prior to their migration from western China to Burma, in, in, in like the 12th century, may have brought some of the remnants of Christian religion with them. Well, he continues to, to pursue his lifelong goal of translating the, the Bible into Burmese, which he finished uh, in 1834. He had been laboring for it for 24 years, 24 years translating the Bible. Um, this was central to everything in his missionary labors. And so in these years of spiritual recovery, he's without a wife and without children, um, he continues to pour himself into 
this, this glorious work. With the first draft of, of the Bible and Burmese complete, it seemed as though the Lord was smiling on him. And um, all, to all of that, he was favored by the Lord with a new wife. So three years earlier, um, another missionary couple, or another missionary, George Boardman, whom I've described now a few times, um, had died. And Sarah, his wife, had stayed in Burma and really became something of a legend, um, pressing into the interior with her baby and so on. Well, in February 1834, Judson received a letter from Sarah, and on April 1st, uh, he met, he went to, to meet her. And on April 1st, he resolved to court her, and on April 10th, he married her. So a courtship of about nine days. These were to be some of the happiest times for him in Burma, not without pain, as you'll see, and not, not really to last more than, than a decade. He describes her as uh, blue-eyed, and he was um, 47, or she was 47 at the time, the full hair, head of hair, and no gray, and strong and healthy. And um, it seemed as if a season of peace and joy was coming along with his, his new bride. She would bear Adoniram eight children. Five of them would live uh, beyond their childhood. But after marriage to Sarah, Adoniram gave himself to the revision of the Old Testament and preached uh, seven times a week, one on Sunday morning, one on the other evenings of, of the week. Sarah was a very gifted partner. She knew the language better than just about anyone, including Judson himself. She translated Pilgrim's Progress during these years before her own untimely death. After bearing eight children in 11 years, she became so ill that the family decided to travel to America, all of them, in hopes that the sea air would work healing. Judson hadn't been to America for 33 years and was only returning for the sake of his wife. As they rounded the, the tip, the Horn of Africa, in, se in September uh, 1845, Sarah died on board. On the evening of the 31st of August, she appeared to be drawing near to the end of her pilgrimage. The children left and went to bed, and he sat down at her bed all alone during the hours of the night, endeavoring to minister relief to her in her distressed state. At two o'clock in the morning, hoping for one more uh, token of recognition, he said to her, do you still love the Savior? Oh, yes, she replied. I ever love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, do you still love me? She replied in the affirmative by her own way and expression. Then give me one more kiss. And they exchanged that token for the last time. About an hour passed, and um, she breathed her last. And Judson says he, for a second, traced her upward flight and thought of the wonders which were opening to her view, closed her sightless eyes, dressed her for the last time in the drapery of death, and exhausted, went to sleep himself. The ship dropped anchor at St. Helena Island just long enough to dig a grave and bury the wife and mother and then sailed on. This time, Adoniram did not descend into the depths of depression as before. 
But even more, um, I think his suffering and I think some of the afflictions had sort of loosened his grip on the things of this world. And he was learning what it meant to hate his life in this world without uh, a sinful bitterness. He had one passion, and that was to return and to give his life for Burma. So he continued home on the ship to the U.S. He was greeted as something of a celebrity. He toured the, the, the East Coast, raising uh, awareness of the mission and, and raising money. He could barely speak above a whisper due to uh, some pulmonary illness. And so in his public addresses, he had to speak to an assistant who would then address the audience. Um, Judson's stay in the States didn't go exactly according to plan because to everyone's astonishment and delight, he fell in love a third time, this time with Emily Chubbuck. And he married her on June 2nd, 1846. She was 29 years old and he was 57. She was a famous writer and um, she left that writing career in order to go with him to Burma. She was actually commissioned to write the memoirs of Sarah Hall Boardman, which was his, his second wife. And so, as I say, on June 2nd, 1846, he married for the third time. And they arrived back in Burma November 1846. God gave them four of the happiest years that either of them had ever known. On their first anniversary, um, Emily wrote... It has, been it has been by far the happiest year of my life. And what is in my eyes still more important, my husband says, it has been among the happiest of his. I never met with any man who could talk so well day after day on every subject, religious, liter literary, scientific, political, and nice baby talk. But then she goes on to describe uh, the, the piety and godliness of, of the man. Adoniram and Emily had one child. Things looked bright. And then the old sickness attacked Adoniram one last time, developed a serious lung disease, and doctors told him he had to go for a sea voyage as a cure. And this was his only hope. On April 3rd, 1850, they carried Adoniram onto uh, the ship that was bound for the Isle of France with one friend, Thomas Rainey, uh, to care for him. In his misery, he would be roused from time to time by terrible pain, ending in vomit. One of his last sentences was, How few there are who die. So hard. At 4.15 on Friday afternoon on April 12, 1850, he died at the age of 61 on board ship at sea away from all his family and the Burmese church. That evening, uh, the ship uh, came to a, a still. The crew assembled quietly. The larboard port was opened. There were no prayers. The captain gave the order, and the coffin slid through the port into the night. He was buried at sea, having spent 37 years uh, abroad with only one trip back to America. Ten days later, Emily gave birth to their second child, who died at birth. She learned four months later that her husband was dead. 
She returned to England the next January and died of tuberculosis three years later at the age of 37. So I said that this is a sobering account, that it is heavy. The suffering was immense, more than I've been able to capture in this address. But the fruit was even more amazing. He had laid seed and had preached and translated the scriptures and made inroads into uh, the country. I think there were around 100 places of worship when he died. Um, at the turn of the second to the third millennium, uh, one man wrote, had estimated that Myanmar, Burma's new name, that the Baptists had 3,700 congregations with 617,000 members and 1,900,000 affiliates. Unless the seed falls into the ground and dies, it remaineth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. You think of this. Now many, of course, would have looked at him and his bright prospects as a brilliant student in college and then at what followed in his life, and they would consider it the unbelieving world as a colossal waste. God looks from heaven. The angels look from heaven. And the believing people of God who inhabit the earth look into the annals of history and deem his life to be one of incalculable value, overwhelming value. You think of the ways in which this story has been repeated in others and how it will yet be. And what remains of history repeated again and again and again. We think today of all of the thousands of uh, unreached people groups. What is to become of them? We think of those who at present are and those who will who have gone to give everything, to withhold nothing for the good of untold millions of, of souls. You think of, you know, our own interest uh, in the congregation, that, that window in the Middle East of the Muslims that are there, nations, 99% of the Islamic faith, and so on and so forth. And you think, what does what the Lord have yet in store for all of these, and how will it mirror the things that we see with regards to Judson and what has taken place in Burma uh, subsequently. I hope that the life of Adoniram Judson will have an impact upon us and that it will lead us more and more to give everything and to withhold nothing for the good of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Judson wrote, if I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. He wrote that faith, which consists merely in a correct belief of the doctrines of grace, Calvinism, you know, consists merely in the, in the correct belief of the doctrines of grace and promotes no self-denial, is no faith at all. When her second child died, Anne, his first wife, wrote, our hearts were bound up with this child. We felt he was our earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error. 
and strip us of our only little all. Oh, may it not be in vain that he has done so. May we so improve it that he will stay his hand and say it is enough. Judson wrote to missionary candidates in 1832 the following, filling up the afflictions of Christ, bear in mind that a large proportion of those who come out on a mission to the east die within five years after leaving their native land. Walk softly, therefore. Death is narrowly watching your steps. The question is not whether we will die, but whether we will die in a way that bears much fruit. The challenge of Adnaram Judson's life is multitudinous, but it leaves us with one, I think, especially pressing question. For what will you die? That's the question I have to ask day by day. It's the question you have to ask. For what will you die? Because, my friends, that is what will determine for what you will live. That defines what you will live for by the grace of God, whether here in South Carolina or wherever the Lord may take you in far-flung places for his glory. And may the Lord bless these reflections and meditations upon the works of God and the history of his church for the edification of our souls.